0: Welcome to the fourth episode of PH Pod Season 4. I'm your host, Kara Schmidt. Today we are joined by Christina Dobbs, a professor at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Rights. She is also the Director of Education for the Equity and Justice Program, and she's on the Standing Committee Against Censorship of the National Council of Teachers of English. So as we get started... Can you tell me about your work with the NCTE and your contribution to This Story Matters?
1: Sure. So um, before I went to graduate school, became a professor, did all of those things, I was a high school English language arts teacher in Houston, Texas. And the National Council of Teachers of English, which I'll just say NCTE from now on, was my professional organization. And... I think it was in 2021. I got an invitation to join the Standing Committee Against Censorship, uh, but I was excited to do it. I have taught children's and young adult literature and other kinds of literature, too. Of course, in my own teaching, I have been a book reviewer for young adult books for the Horn Book, which is a review journal that's housed here in Boston. So I have a lot of experience, sort of, with the YA world in particular. As a former high school teacher, I'm sort of always interested in what adolescents are curious to read. And so I joined the committee. Then once I joined, the world decided that like we should really have a lot of censorship. And so as a group, we have been trying to think about what to do about that. Teachers have faced all sorts of challenges to books, new books, old books, all sorts of questions about what they're reading with students and why. And we sort of want to support them in their work. So the, the Story Matters project is sort of a renovation of an old project that NCTE has been doing for many years, which is to write what we call book rationales. Book rationales are guides that practitioners can use if they are curious about a book, if they want to know more about it. And so book rationales contain information about who wrote the book, a summary of what it's about. What are some potential challenges that have happened in the past to a particular book? What kinds of awards it has won? What kinds of teaching people have used it for in their own classrooms teaching? Sometimes, you know, a book has primarily been used for kids to read independently by their own choice. And sometimes teachers have taught a book to a whole class. And those are sort of very different undertakings. So it has some information about that. And we have had a huge push to write new rationales. We're going to have the This Story Matters Teacher Corps, which is a group of teachers across levels who are going to help work with this project and um, write rationales and vet rationales that come in from contributors across the country who are in the organization and things like that. And the sort of result is just a database of sort of information about books. um, And we hope people will use it. When books are challenged to sort of participate in those conversations about books and why they might have value, but also people might use them for choosing books or having conversations with communities about what books are being chosen and why. We can foresee a lot of uses, but um, we're still in the sort of early stages of talking to people about what they've downloaded, why, and how they've used that information. Mm -hmm.
0: How would someone use a book rationale to defend a book that they want to teach in their classroom or that they want to learn about?
1: Defending a book that has been challenged, I think, is a really different prospect than choosing a book, potentially. Mm -hmm. The Standing Committee is against censorship. Like, we don't want to give people the impression that we think students should read anything they want or that parents shouldn't participate in that conversation. When I was a teacher and today, I'm happy for parents to talk to me about what they would like their students to be reading. I'm less sort of on board for parents and caregivers to talk about what they think all students ought to mm. be reading. So if I'm choosing a book to teach with an entire class, I need to think carefully about what are my content goals. You know, one of the great things about fiction is that we can learn about all different worlds, experiences, time periods. So I have to think about what the content I'm hoping for students to learn about. I also have to think about what are the skills I want to work on. And then for me personally, I have a set of sort of goals that are grounded in criticality. I want my students to see themselves represented in the books that we read. I want them to see a wide range of other people and other experiences represented. So I need to think about a host of other things. How hard is the text to read? Um, What do we know about this author? You know, there are some authors (laughs) who have done some things that we would need to chat about um, as we think about reading with young people. So we want teachers to have the equipment that they need to enter into those conversations about choosing in a really thoughtful and effective way. And I think when people are challenging books, I think it is important to sort of contextualize that in a broader way. I mean, we got a request for a rationale for To Kill a Mockingbird Mm -hmm. recently by Mm -hmm. Harper Lee. To Kill a Mockingbird unequivocally, a part of the American literary canon. So it is not just sort of new things, unknown things. One set of complaints about To Kill a Mockingbird had to do with its presentation of racial justice and racial dynamics and all of those kinds of questions. And, you know, there is another set of critics of To Kill a Mockingbird who think it is not radical enough. So there's different kinds of challenges Mm. in different places. I did a talk Recently, for a library in suburban Boston Mm. that had just had their first challenge. And Uh so, being able to download, read, think about some information about the book and its construction and what people have objected to in the past, we hope people will find helpful as they're navigating those conversations. You know, I am. Anti-censorship, I feel safe to say. Like, Mm -hmm. there are books that I think are problematic, and I I personally don't think we should censor them because I want students to learn to be critical consumers of the things that they read and all of that stuff. But I do think, you know, we just want people to be able to participate in those conversations effectively, and there could be other uses that we haven't foreseen. You know, we just launched the database anew last year. Mm -hmm with lots of new rationales and they're getting added all the time. And and we are hoping to collect some information from people about how they use them, what they found them useful for, what else they'd like to know, Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. But it's kind of early in our process so far to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Can you walk me through the process of getting a book banned or a book challenged? I know we hear a lot about the increase in book bans over the last two years that's been like a hot topic in the media but I'm not really sure people know what that process looks like.
1: So it looks different everywhere, but there's a few different types. So a book challenge can go to like a school committee or superintendent, a principal of an individual school. It could go to a community library, things like that. And a book challenge is sort of saying, I want this to be banned for everyone. I won't, don't want anyone to have access to it. Mm. So typically... A lot of the books that are getting banned are just available in school libraries for kids to check out, Mm -hmm. not being taught by anybody in particular. Mm. So what will tend to happen is that, one, is that the district says the parent or whoever else, and it's not always parents. A lot of book challenges nowadays are not coming from parents. They're coming from people who just sort of do this work.
0: Because it's become very politicized. Stuff they want
1: to do is to say, like, we're keeping this book and your own child can opt out, but um, we're keeping it. So Mm -hmm. that's one outcome. Another outcome is to ban the book from the school library. We're removing it from the book room and the shelves, and and students won't have access to it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of complicated. A lot of times the argument that we hear made is like the book was not developmentally appropriate for a particular group of kids. Well, Mm -hmm. kids don't all develop in the same way. Mm -hmm. There's like wild variability in how that happens. And so you know, there are books that I would not recommend to some kids because they're just not ready. And and then there are kids who I would say, yes, please. I had a kid who never read anything but true crime when given the choice. That's sort of dark stuff. And that was a huge interest for that student. And then there is that sort of middle kind of option that we talk about sometimes, which we tend to think of as redlining, which is putting a book like in a special place, Mm -hmm. in a locked cabinet, behind the librarian's desk, something like that, Mm. and making students have to have sort of explicit permission from parents to access it. And, you know, if you're a kid and you're asking some questions about your sexuality, for example, you might want to read some stuff about that and not have made any kind of choices or decisions, but just be curious. Mm. And to have to go through the redlining process beforehand might mean that you just don't access no. It's that It
0: creates a barrier that is already hard for people right. sometimes. So.
1: And, you know, if you're the kind of kid who is worried, that, like, my parents are going to kick me out mm-hmm. if I say that I'm gay, which is happens to kids it's all the time. So there are those kinds of processes. And the other thing we talk a lot about is what we call soft censorship. And this happens a lot, especially with characters who represent perspectives from the LGBTQIA plus community, which is to say, I'm not even going to try to read this. And so for teachers to sort of censor themselves. And I very much stand in solidarity with teachers always, but uh, I worry that sometimes teachers are afraid to represent certain stories and narratives, certain complexities of history. Mm -hmm. And I worry that we lose some of the nuance of stories because soft censorship has sort of meant that people are afraid. And And that is another way that we think about sort of book banning having an impact is in a soft censorship kind of way. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I can totally see the loss of curiosity of wanting to search out these things and to read different things that you wouldn't be exposed to. But with all the politicalization of these type of topics can make students as well also afraid to seek out these types of materials. And so that fear is the consequence that I don't think a lot of people think about when they think about the issue of book bans mm-hmm. as a whole. Do you think the rationales that are written for this story matters are having the desired effect within schools? I, I know you said that this is a newer adventure, mm-hmm. so so maybe not enough data or time has happened for you to actually answer that question. But if you could answer that question.
1: (laughs) Um, It is early to sort of say how they're being used and for what purposes. My hope is that they're helpful to people. And I think one thing I can see already happening is that it feels like now there is a network. Mm -hmm. There is the committee that's from all across the U.S. and lots of different levels, teachers, literacy coaches all sorts of people and then we have been having sessions at the conference and and webinars and things like that to bring people together to talk about this set of issues mm-hmm. people are not just sort of meeting us but they're meeting each other you know i think for some teachers in Rural and geographically isolated places, meeting other people who are doing the same work is not easy to do. Um, so we see sort of stuff happening around that, where people are meeting one another, having conversations, talking about their experience. And I think, you know, as we've been having webinars, you know, I did that talk. I said in in Massachusetts, people came to that who don't have school age children or are not teachers or anything like that, but are just sort of dismayed by what mm-hmm. is happening nationwide and want, you know, access to lots of information, lots of stories. Mm -hmm. And so we see people who are sort of saying like, actually, I don't want to erase American history completely. I do want to talk about some of these complex things. Mm -hmm. You know, there are several bills in the United States that have language like no teaching can occur in which students are made to feel bad about members of their race Mm -hmm. or things like that. And I certainly don't want my students to have negative or traumatic experiences in the classroom. And I think there is a way of talking about these things that sees people other than ourselves in a complex and human way and and does not excuse the inexcusable things that have happened historically or even are happening now. Mm -hmm. And so like those sorts of responses, you know, there was a whole book banning thing can't remember in what state, a parent of a senior in high school had been very upset because the book Beloved by Toni Morrison had given her son nightmares and that that meant that it was inappropriate for school. And so, you know, I also get a little freaked out when I read Beloved, which is a book that I love, but is frightening in a lot of ways. And I think there is a reason for that. And maybe it is too much for some students. I'm not trying to be in the business of making all things available to all kids. Yeah. One thing we talk a lot about is that like English teachers have expertise in adolescent development, Mm -hmm. in reading complexity, in a whole host of issues that we hope is expertise they bring to bear when they're making selections for their own students. And I think teachers are professionals even when we don't treat them as such. Mm -hmm. And I hope that... We can rely on teachers to have expertise that they will use their best judgment in those situations. And I'm not sure that all the people who are challenging books all the time have some of that expertise. Some of them might, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I do think teachers have professional expertise that they ought to be able to use Mm -hmm. to make decisions. I hope that part of what book rationale work does is sort of help teachers feel like they have there are sort of broad expertise, but also some information about a specific book in a specific way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the idea of who is allowed to choose what is being taught in the classrooms, mm-hmm. but also of who has access to these books of one person had a bad reaction to this book or was not able to exactly handle the content, which is valid. In some of these books, the content is very severe. But that, does that mean that you have to cut it out completely for every other person mm-hmm. Who might get something good out of these books who might see themselves in these books or see examples of stuff that they have faced and looking at characters whether they're fictional or non-fictional going through these things i think can help people and it's the, it's always that balance and why is it important that books like tony morrison's the bluest eye or all boys aren't blue or *Gender Queer*, which are the three topped challenged books to be continued to be taught in schools or at least be available in school libraries?
1: So I think Genderqueer and All Boys Aren't Blue are slightly different than Mm -hmm. Toni Morrison. Um, Toni Morrison was an adult fiction writer. She was not writing primarily for audience of adolescents. Her work is largely considered to be canonical. Mm -hmm. So I think a work like The Bluest Eye comes with some sort of credibility in that people perceive it to have cultural capital in lots of ways that some young adult books do not. Mm -hmm. Genderqueer was not originally published for young adults but has reached a wide young adult audience and has some sort of adult ideas happening in it. It is about a sort of journey of Mm -hmm. gender identity development. But I think because it is a graphic novel – and there are different challenges to reading a book like that. Mm-hmm. Um, All Boys Aren't Blue is a young adult mm-hmm. nonfiction memoir mm-hmm. about the author growing up and thinking about gender and sexuality, but also talking about that like from a young person's perspective. So I think you know a book that is young adult already, people are happy to dismiss it in a way that people don't say about Toni Morrison. So I do think there are different challenges depending on the type of book.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There are students who are trying to figure things out who need to read a book like All Boys Aren't Blue. All Boys Aren't Blue, the author is Black. And so there is this sort of intersectional portrait. We don't have a ton of books by racially diverse authors. We don't have nearly as many as we'd like. Mm -hmm. And so I think for some students, the opportunity to sit with that author, read that perspective, really think deeply about it is going to be quite important in a way that it might not be for every student. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think not every book is important to have for everyone, but a lot of books are important to someone. Mm -hmm. You know, my students who were gender questioning didn't have a lot of people always Mm -hmm. to talk about that with, and books gave an opportunity to think things through and to consider other people's perspectives. And I think there's lots of reasons why keeping books in a space is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I read Gender Queer for the first time, I think there are ages when I could have read that as an adolescent that it would have felt a little bit overwhelming. There Mm -hmm. is a lot happening in that text, and I would have had to think about when I was ready. And I think my very good English teacher in my hometown would have helped me think about that. I'm hopeful the students who are in American schools have teachers and librarians who can also help them make those decisions. And students have interests. They have an idea of who they might want to be in the future. They have things they're curious about. And the middle schoolers that I talked to, they want to talk about racial justice. Mm. They want to talk about those issues. They said again and again that they think school is an important place to do it. And that they think having the support of their teachers is important to learning about that set of questions. So I do think I have enough respect for my students to listen Mm -hmm. to what it is that they're curious about when they're reading on their own. I hope as a teacher that I'm making choices to consider them as a group. And I think if we're listening to students, I think they're telling us that they want a wide range of books available to them on all sorts of topics and that they want us to support them in putting together the skills for how to navigate them themselves and be discerning, discriminating, critical readers. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm a big believer in like kids autonomy. Mm -hmm. Like they are old enough, especially those in high school, middle school and elementary school. There can be more arguments, but specifically high schoolers have the capacity to make these decisions themselves, I think. And you've even said you've had students come up to you and tell you, I don't want to read this book or I didn't enjoy it or I couldn't get through this part because of this reason. And I think that's great that kids are empowered to make those decisions themselves and have a safe option of approaching a teacher and, and having the teacher actually listen to them over what is happening, which seems to be a lot of parents making these decisions for their children and not letting their children Make these decisions themselves, but that is my own yeah. personal I mean, take. <laughs> unfortunately,
1: can't always interrupt um parents and their own children in that mm-hmm. way because you don't have the same right to privacy, yeah to sort of self-determination and all of that when you're a certain age yeah. in the United States. and I have a lot of adolescent students who have been very upset about that, mm-hmm. but I definitely don't think one parent ought to sort of dictate Mm -hmm. for an entire school, an entire community, definitely not the entire country. Mm. And I trust students to tell me Mm -hmm. when something is too much. My friend's daughter is 13. She's obsessed with Winona Ryder. She's watching all the old movies. And she recently told me, she said, but I didn't watch Heather's yet. Mm -hmm. Heather's gets a little dark. Yeah. A lot going down in that movie. She said, I just, I read the synopsis and I just think I'm not ready yet, so I'm going to wait. And I think it is a really good thing for you to say what your boundaries are explicitly. But it is so clear that like she's willing to say like yes to this, not yet to that, Mm -hmm. no to these other things. I think that is a skill that serves you well in a lot of areas Mm -hmm. of your life potentially to be able to sort of name Mm -hmm. what you're ready for and when. And my hope is that all students get to try enough stuff in school. And now we have sort of focused a lot on novels and things like that. Mm Do you want to say like censorship of things like textbooks? What kinds of history is going to be presented? And and we're not just talking about like history books. We're also talking about science books.
0: Math books. I read an article of someone censoring a math book because Mm -hmm. it – In the math problem, it mentioned the gender pay gap.
1: So I just want to be sure to say, I am an English teacher Mm -hmm. in English education today and think a lot about it from an English teacher's perspective. But that is not to say that it doesn't happen across the sort of curriculum and the questions that people are having about lots of subjects. And I think it is good to have discussion about what school is for and what we hope it will accomplish for students. Like I used to tell parents, I'm fine for you to come in here And look at what your student has chosen for independent reading and what we're reading as a group. I'm fine if you want to read those things ahead of time and make a set of decisions. And I I definitely think that like that sort of open two-way street. Some parents used it and some parents did come and read the books and and some of them would say like, you know, I was nervous about this. You said it has curse words. Like, yeah. The adolescents that I know occasionally use curse words, some of them. (laughs) I hate to tell you, but it's true. And so I do think there is work we can do on the front side to communicate Mm -hmm. about those things and maybe to have conversations when we redesign curriculum that are inclusive of students and their adults so that it feels collaborative throughout. And my hope is that like all of this doesn't just push us to defend books once they're challenged, but Mm -hmm. to create more thoughtful, more collaborative from the start processes Mm -hmm. to design curriculum too, so that people feel a sense of ownership over what happens in the schools in their neighborhoods and you know we see students organizing themselves to push back against these sorts of things there are anti-censorship groups with students that are being formed across the United States and so I see them sort of taking steps to say we have the right to learn about topics that we choose and we want to learn history in a deep and complex way and I learn again and again that Teachers are great. Students are great. Like a ton of the civil rights progress we've made in this country, mm-hmm. young people push for it. It's so like mm-hmm. I trust young people to, <laughs> to sort of organize themselves and all that. But I very much want to do work that makes teachers and students feel like we have their back. So
0: according to a report by PEN America, 48% of books that were banned in the 2022-2023 school year Included four instances of violence and abuse. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, one could say that's justifiable because kids to a certain age should not be exposed to these mature themes too soon. Can you explain to me why, why these arguments aren't always valid?
1: Well, I think it depends on the kind of violence, how acceptable we find it to be. If it is the kind of violence that's in the book The Hate You Give by Mm -hmm. Angie Thomas, which is banned in a lot of places because it begins with an incidence of police violence, Mm -hmm. that is not a kind of violence that people feel comfortable with. If it is the kind of violence that happens in Of Mice and Men, spoiler alert, but that book is old also. (laughs) There is violence that happens in Of Mice and Men, Mm -hmm. but that book was written by Steinbeck we're totally cool with, like, the kind of violence that happens in that book. We're also totally cool with the fact that there's, like, only one woman in that book and her name is Carly's wife. Like, there's a whole bunch of things about that book that we might ask questions about. And I'm, I'm not saying we should ditch Steinbeck, of course. But just to point out that there is a sort of differential scale that gets mm. used um, in what kinds of violence people find acceptable. I think people are much more clear cut and dried about anything that might touch like sexuality, for example. Mm -hmm. I have heard of people asking for books to be banned because there's kissing in them. And like, I can see some students being like, I'm not ready to read about that. But also I have students who are making out in the hallway. So (laughs) I don't want students to suffer from a lack of information about that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to ask some hard questions about when our criteria change and what is underlying that mm-hmm. because I definitely find a lot of sort of inconsistency but I think we can actually have those conversations about the choices that we make in mm-hmm. our teaching you know English teachers ask me all the time about trigger warnings in class and how much do I need to let people know what is coming and all those sorts of things I think all that stuff is good stuff to talk about you know human beings are violent and there. Creative in there. (laughs) Everything that you can imagine. And part of why we read stories in ELA is to explore that as a group and to think about what we can learn about what it's like to be human through what we're reading. And I just want us to really know, are we choosing things because generations of people have chosen them before us and decided they're fine? Or are we choosing things for our own reasons Mm. that have to do with our own students? Mm.
0: Those are are good questions to, to pose because students will be exposed to these things at one point as they get older, as they get further into the world outside of their homes, their parents. Once they get into college or get a job or something there, they'll be exposed to mature things. And I think schools should be a place to experience these things and to have teachers kind of walk through these mature things with you possibly could be really helpful. I think schools should be safe places to explore hard and difficult topics to prepare students Mm -hmm. as they get outside of school. Right.
1: And you know, what does it say? This is a podcast, so maybe people don't know. I am a woman of color. Um, I identify as multiracial and Latina. Mm -hmm. And when people are saying racism is traumatizing, I am thinking to myself, yes, I know that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I know that that's happening. And and I feel like this gets said to kids all the time. It's fine that you have been traumatized personally by that experience. It's not fine for other kids to even read about it. Mm -hmm. And to sort of say it might be traumatizing for me to read about it when other people in the room have experienced it is a real message about whose pain matters, Mm -hmm. whose trauma is important, whose experience is common and worth exploring. Like there's just a bunch to unpack in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think students know when we are sort of protecting some at the expense of others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So as we come to the end of our session, how I like to, to end these sessions is with a last sentence. And that can be Anything you want to end with, it can be something that we've talked about, it can be an own personal creed, whatever you feel like you want to end our conversation with, I would really enjoy it if you could share it with us.
1: I guess I will say to wrap up that at the end of the day, I believe in teachers and students and their ability and right to create learning communities that are meaningful to them. One of my favorite quotes is by Angela Davis she says, I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. Mm. And so, you know, this book rationale project is one small piece of a very complicated puzzle. But Mm. for me personally, it feels like a way to say I would like to change what I cannot accept. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you so much again for joining me today. Next episode, I will be sitting down with Leah Watson, a senior staff attorney for the ACLU, to talk about the topic of censorship within the classroom and the broader implications of it, specifically the legal aspects about what is and should not be taught within the classroom. PH Pod is a podcast brought to you by Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post which informs and inflects the broader conversation on health and social justice. Every day, we feature new articles about the state of the population. Join the conversation on social media and subscribe to the PHP Friday Roundup to receive your stories of the week delivered to your inbox by visiting publichealthpost.org. Thank you so much for listening in. See you guys next time.